That's right, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm your host, Jeff Openshaw. Nice of you to join us this week for another round of Latter-day Saint-focused news, culture, ephemera, whatever it may be. Either way, it's going to be good. We hope you'll join us at thisweekinmormons.com, where you can uh, listen to this episode, see the show notes for it, uh, and also read our various original content blogs, you know, all those things that we have. And of course, you should follow us on facebook.com slash thisweekinmormons, at the Real Twim on Twitter, and at this Week in Mormons on Instagram. Yes, it's YouTube that is Twim Mormons because they had a character limit like 10 years ago. <laughs> That's what we are. I'm joined this week by by a, a longtime friend of the show. Now, if you were a Sunday School Bonanza listener years ago, right, our old, our old Gospel Doctrine podcast, you will know her voice very well because she was a regular on that for many years. I, I think this is the first time you've twimmed, though, if I'm not mistaken. Patricia... What do, are you still going by maiden name Doxy. for professional purposes? Okay, Doxy, married name. Patricia Doxy's here. Hey, how you doing? Hello. Uh, it's good to be back on the show. I hope to do it justice. I don't know that it can be done justice, but it's nice of you to suggest. <laughs> that, like, that's a thing. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you. It's very kind. Everyone knows this is the show where the points don't matter. And <laughs> it's like the cotton candy weekly thing anyway but how, how you been what's what's new we uh used to live out here in dc by us and then you chose the better path i guess gone yeah absconded over to utah it's been great you know we live we live in downtown salt lake uh and i've um i was wary of moving back to utah um but it's been great i've i've loved it rich my husband is into skiing and cycling and um He's really enjoyed that, and I've I've really liked being here, and I've met some great people. Well, happy times all around. That's super. We're still out here in D.C. We were talking a little bit beforehand about the real estate market, how it's like crazier. I know in Utah it's just insane, right? I mean, it's insane everywhere right now. It's a very much it's very much a seller's market right now. It's very much a seller's market. Um, it's crazy to get any any contractor to do anything on your house is like. They're doing you a, a huge favor, even though you're paying them thousands of dollars. And, and, and why is that a big deal? I understand one thing with the real estate market's tough. Why is the contractor, why is it hard to get contractors to do work? Well, first off, just- since, since the inventory is so low, more more people are doing renovations on their house, especially because yeah. in the past year, people have been, been spending more time at their house. Um, and then also the housing crisis, you may recall. Um, in the early aughts really hit Utah hard. And so it really gutted the market. So there is just a huge dearth of construction oriented workers here. They're still working on building back inventory, but it's all contributed to, yeah, just skyrocketing housing prices. It's an absolute mess. We can only hope that there's another crash once more so that I can move (laughs) out there and I can fulfill the dream of buying a house on top of the hill in Draper for a mere, what, $400,000 or something? Oh, man, that's that's what we can all hope for. Those McMansions around the Draper Temple, they can fall as far as 350 people. I think we can get it there <laughs> if we pray. Well, now that I've bought a house, I hope it doesn't, but... Um... Yeah, you, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, me too. I mean, for my reasons as well. I've realized the key to success in life, though, is to save up enough money to buy your next house and not have to sell the one you own for additional funding for that because then it doesn't matter what happens to the market as long as you don't go underwater on it you can just keep yep. it forever that's, that's my pl- dream that's my plan i don't know if i can achieve that plan but that is the hope i want to be a landlord 
Okay, yeah. let's let's check back in ten years and and see what our progress is on this and see how the housing market is. I'll add it to my calendar right now. Uh, it's gonna be weird if I'm still living in DC in ten more years. That'd be that'd be something. It's a long time. Yeah. We've been out here for a while. My wife and I have just been. We're just like perma. We're pros out here now. Anyways, folks, interesting week uh, as far as Latter Day Saint news goes. Uh, I I wasn't sure. Where things would go this week, as as last week's news developed, I found myself scheduling lots of like random humorous posts and things for the Facebook page because there wasn't much like hard hitting news that was worth sharing, and so you never know where things are going to go um, by the time it's it's time to record. But some things have happened, and we will certainly have some worthwhile items uh, to discuss. I am going to lead off with my favorite early story from last week. It brought me joy. It brought me happiness. Brought me mirth. Um, earlier in the week, BYU decided to drop a whole new website uh, about like covenant intimacy conversations. The URL is actually is actually covenantintimacyconversations.byu.edu. How's that for a subdomain? So, um, uh, unfortunately, the uh, site is now down. And we were going to write an article about this site because it was actually worthwhile. Like it talked about healthier approaches to sexuality, whether you've yet to be married, whether you're a newlywed, whether you're a divorcee, there's some good stuff to talk about here. And I'm glad that they're producing content to support that. Uh, However, they appear to have failed to employ like a copy editor, or this is just like a case. This is similar to, I don't know, the Disney artists from the late, you know, the late eighties and early nineties who would get dirty drawings snuck into the poster art for the Disney movies. There might be a sick genius at play here. So I'm going to read something to you. And this is from a uh, a section about essentially. I'm assuming if you're if you've gone through divorce, the the subsection is called transitioning from sexually active to sexually inactive. There's nothing wrong with that. And it says the transition from being sexually active to sexually inactive due to divorce or death of a spouse can be difficult. Yes, although you likely won't be able to replace sexual intimacy, you may be able to find ways that you can start to fill the holes. I can't even read. No, start to fill the holes. It's so once filled by sex. It's so unfortunate, Jeff. You may find identify ways that you can start to fill the holes that were once filled by sex. How? I want to believe this was intentional and someone snuck it in. It was like, <laughs> and that's why the site's still down. Cause you'd think this would be a quick edit. They could easily just fix this language unless this all has to be approved by the 12 or something. But if it's approved by the 12, how did this get through at the same time? So uh, this is like the one instance of this in this whole thing, but they took the whole site down presumably because of it. And it's just, I, I, I think it's either a, a sneaky, sneaky, funny pervert or it's like a 19-year-old newlywed woman who straight up did not think it. Just very innocent. A lot of innocence. I just think they, they haven't posted it yet because they still blush every time they, they go to republish it. That's that's what I think happened. I'm just so happy about this. This is what I needed last week to carry me through the middle of the week. It's just, it's. I've been laughing about it for days. I just, I want, I want the site to return because I think it's got some decent content. But in the meantime, let's just, they're like, they couldn't have thought of any other way to express that sentiment. You know, right. how do you, how do you feel? How do you navigate the emptiness you might feel when you no longer have a sexual partner? There's so many ways you could express that sentiment, but they chose to be succinct. And in so doing, 
they talk at the dirty. Yeah. It was a good time. I, f- I feel bad for them. But I don't. like I just you, think it's awesome. you don't you don't feel bad at all. <laughs> no, it's I, great. I do like I do like a more open discussion of sexuality and uh stopping the taboo, which you mentioned, um, especially because some recent sex education in Utah, the same state, um, got shut down in, in K through twelve. Um which I is heard a little bit a little bit about that. Can you elaborate on what happened with um, that? I think I, just, I saw some posts about that. Yeah, it's just uh Parents in Utah feel like sex shouldn't be discussed in schools, and that also um, applies to consent. They tried to add consent to the sex education curriculum, which is a really important topic, Um, you know, how to get consent, how to make sure you have consent. But that, of course, implies that as long as you have consent, it's okay to have sex, and that's just not the the dominant um, perception of, of sexuality in Utah. So, uh, it's a, it's a good topic and I hope that they find a way to work it into the curriculum. Um, but it, it didn't, didn't make it this round. So, I mean, is Utah a state where they teach abstinence as a form of sexual education? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, that seems like it would fit ideologically, uh, but I don't know. Um, all the particulars of of the sex education content. I just remember that specific topic and wishing that it it had been included. Because this will factor into my decision to buy a house in Draper. I just want everyone to <laughs> gotcha. Know well, you can always teach your kids about consent, Jeff, and I encourage you to do so. I should. That yeah. Oh, I love Utah. It's like they don't accept the premise in the first place. And I, I don't think that Utah is alone in that sense. You know, this this is a debate that's gone on for decades, right? I mean, decades and decades, right? Should should schools teach about birth control? And it's like, well, why? Like, we know, we've seen all the data. And a lot of the data also suggests that when you don't teach these things, um, you know, as uh, STDs and teen pregnancy and things are usually right. higher in places that don't mm-hmm. teach that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I grew up in godless California, so I don't know. I mean, we, we watched... <laughs> Honestly, the greatest uh, way to prevent me from being sexually active was in health class. They had us watch a birth. Okay. Like, and it was a graphic sure. camera right on the zone for a birth. And I was like, <laughs> and I just sat there like, I'm never messing around. That is it. No way is this happening. Yeah. Shut so, it down. So hopefully the BYU site gets gets put up. Of course, it's a private organization, but I think that that BYU openly discussing sexuality and healthy sex practices um, could really go a long way in opening opening up minds to uh, what can be talked about in the public sphere yeah. um, to promote healthy behaviors. I wonder if the site was up long enough to get cashed on the Wayback Machine. It might be. Oh. oh boy, I'm excited. All is not lost. Every oh, there it is, unavailable. Come on. Um, okay, I'm not. I'm not giving this up. Okay. We're right well, we're, report back. Okay, you can continue on while I do my my research. Um. So, uh, one topic that I wanted to talk about, Jeff. Um, we were talking about this be before we were recording is a tweet from Al Caraway who sometimes has, you know, a particular perspective um, of an outside insider um, in, in Mormon culture. She's and, the, uh, she, she's the so-called tattooed Mormon. Right, right. Right. She got known for that. And for those of you who didn't read the tweet, uh, tweet um, 
I'll just read it for you, but it says, I cringe at the phrase church culture. I am from and live in the East, nine years in the West, and my records in 11 wards spoken in six different countries in almost every state. Definitely not all, but it, but a lot is location culture. What is a hot issue where you are now is not where I am and vice versa. So, uh, Jeff, there, there were some, there were some productive replies, including from Rosemary Card, who, um, is a, another Mormon culture name owns a, owns a company that sells uh, temple clothing. Yeah. yeah she's um, been on the show a few times. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, she had an interesting reply. She said, yes. And when one location sends out a bulk of missionaries all over the world, they teach culture as much as they teach doctrine. I've also had my records all over the world and quote unquote, Utah problems are also Asia, East coast and and Europe problems in my experience. So I thought this was an interesting back and forth and it brought to mind some concepts that I've thought about of the relationship in the, you know, in the Mormon culture, the Mormon ethosphere, when we talk about, when we designate things as doctrine versus culture. And normally when something bothers us, we'll assign it to, oh, that's church culture. That's not church doctrine. And it allows us a little bit of space to get around issues we don't necessarily agree with or identify with. Um, but so I was just thinking about what are some other things that feel like culture, but that are also influenced by doctrine. And you think of something even, even like white, white is a symbol of purity. Um, but white is also a very cultural, uh, a Western cultural symbol. Um, but we expect men to wear white when they bless the sacrament and wear white when, and we wear white when we go to the temple. So it's this very, uh, it seems like a doctrinal thing, but it's actually very cultural. Uh, you think of reverence being expressed as being quiet, which is a very white Protestant viewpoint, whereas you get in these different cultures, reverence in these different um, faith traditions is very loud, very expressive. So it, it got me just thinking about different things um, that are involved. Uh, they're presented as doctrine, but very much a cultural expression. And then culture, cultural aspects of uh, Mormonism that derive from doctrine. Um, so sure, Utah culture isn't necessarily synonymous with cult church culture, but the Venn diagram has a pretty big overlapping portion for a lot of issues. What, what did you think about this? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, overall, I thought there's a tweet underneath Rosemary's that I think is pretty interesting too. It's from Alexa Heisey, which says this, I'm convinced this is the cause of some of the issues in the church here in Albania. Because mm. the, the manual mentions somehow the adapt to local needs section of the handbook keeps getting forgotten in favor of uh, just do it like we do in Utah, right? Yeah. And that's a good reminder. I mean, I, I think I think people look to Utah because they see the stability of the church, but then it's like, is the church synonymous with Utah culture is Utah culture and Utah politics. Are they synonymous with the church? And there are in some ways, yes. And in some ways, ways it shouldn't be. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we, we halfway joke that the state legislature is sort of does the bidding of church HQ in many ways. And yeah, there's some truth to that. Um, I mean, I laughed years ago when there was that bill up to, wasn't it to get rid of the, uh, you you'll know the name of it, but you, you know how they hide alcohol. Like if you're at a oh the Zion's curtain, the Zion curtain. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was something else. Yeah, the Zion curtain. There was a bill to get rid of that, and the church, oddly enough, produced a video explaining why they wanted to keep things as they were, which I thought was fascinating. So I'm like, why is the church at the church at a church level weighing in on what is a Utah 
political issue. And Jeff, um, that was that was. I mean, of course, Mormon culture, and that's the point of this, is bigger than just Utah. Yeah. But it is interesting. Another another topic that the church weighed in pretty hard was medical marijuana in mm-hmm. Utah, uh, which was a, a ballot initiative that people were voting on. And it was interesting because the church came out pretty hard about it. And then the polling, it was kind of surprising because normally or traditionally, the churches had a, a strong influence on polling and what people choose to vote on. Um, but their their persuasive powers really declined on this issue. And they found that their opinion was not aligned with the with the majority opinion in the state. So it was one of those issues where, um, and, and I, I made a note for, um, for another topic, but just, you know, how do people identify now? Do people identify as, um, as a member of the LDS church or do they identify politically first and where in the, where in the order of their identity does that come? I, it's funny you mentioned that because I think it was just a month or so ago, there was some research about that, uh, how um, how politics are sort of taking the place of religion in terms of the first identifier. And that's really, that's, I think, dangerous for us as a people. Uh, and it's funny we're talking about this considering the uh, the come follow me just for this past week. Part of it dealt with unity. You know, it dealt with the classic scripture and doctrine and covenants. If you are not one, you are not mine. And so that's that's the crux of it, to have the sense of unity, but not let that unity be driven primarily by exported Utah culture. And of course, there are members, and this isn't knocking the members of your ward from Utah, wherever you are, of course, but but if people are born and raised in Utah and they move elsewhere, like anything, they, they carry with them the things that they saw. Uh, it mixes in, hopefully, I think in good wards that, that embrace their heterogeneity. Everyone mixes in with different ideas. Um, but I think like when you see it, like when you see it somewhere like Utah, of course, part of that's because it's just, you know, when it's dominant religion, dominant culture, it all just sort of just feeds upon itself and doesn't go anywhere. But then it's a question of how does it get exported elsewhere? I mean, I've seen this when I've been abroad there on some issues that even are basically doctrinal issues, like on issues of gay marriage, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my beloved European friends just kind of sit there and they're like, well, who cares? <laughs> like, and that's what, and that's really what they all thought. They're like, it's been legal here for a long time. And most European, and they're like, who cares? Like, they just feel like it has so little to do with their ability to worship the Lord and minister right. and be disciples. And that this one thing is not this like massive culture war that needs to matter to them. And they just, they're, they're puzzled by the way we get sucked into this. A lot of the state side, especially, and I think there's the Utah side of it. I think the Utah culture exports itself really well, especially within the U S as opposed mm-hmm. to everything abroad. But, uh, yeah, it's even, you mentioned white shirts. It's funny because they, up, when they updated the handbook recently, it specifies that you can bless the sacrament in a non white shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, so in the handbook, it says that. So that's codified now. Um, and yet we still do have cultural issues where if someone were not to do it like that, that might raise some eyebrows. If there's even a thing in the handbook now that's, that clarifies that we should try to take the sacrament with our right hand, it doesn't really explain much of the reasons as to why. Right. But that's another thing that you could easily take as like a weird, just you dogmatic Utah culture that's gone elsewhere. But that's an example that is actually... I guess part of officially who we are yeah. in a way. And I mean, uh, this, this segues into another type of topic of um, culture and um, what difference is allowed is the Minerva Teichert, uh, mm, yeah. the Minerva Teichert art. So, you know, um, with the, 
with the reconfiguration of the Manti temple and then with the recent announcement on what art is allowed and not allowed in church buildings, the question for me is, you know, Minerva Tyker is this seminal artist um, in Mormon culture and really a, a high expression um, of, of what Mormon art can be. Um, and so how, how, what do you think, Jeff, about, um, about the temple art? <laughs> um, I've spoken, I've, I've, I've probably gone ad nauseum on this one ever since they announced it. So I was, I was very happy when I did this, uh, I had Jared Gillins, who you know as well, mm-hmm. was was on here when we talked about this, and he had a lot of very passionate thoughts on it. I think it's beautiful. I think it's part of our history. I know the church is now officially attempting to preserve the murals in some capacity. They've said, look, they're on plaster, that they're on canvas that's adhered to the plaster. And so it's great. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't know if they're going to successfully main, you know, preserve them all. We don't know why they can't just kind of keep some of the murals up there. Honestly, right, <laughs> um, and just just work around them. But I'm glad there's there's something around this, right? And and we even saw there was a rally, uh, a rally. Right. I, like, I like they call this a rally, a Sunday rally in Provo supports <laughs> keeping Minerva Tykert murals in the Manti Temple. It appears a bunch of people, we should call them Sabbath breakers, um, were were at, it looks like a gallery just to, to appreciate Minerva Tykert's artwork and everything about her and celebrate her role in Latter-day Saint culture. Um, I think that's great. And I love keep raising awareness of this and keeping it on everybody's minds. I do think it's funny that afterwards when they were done, they kind of like did a march to Provo <laughs> City Hall. Right. <laughs> um, which um, who, I, just, I just don't understand what... So we've got the Manti Utah Temple owned by the church in Manti, in San Pete County, Utah. And then these people went to Provo City Hall. Provo City has, uh, I don't get it, unless they try to leverage BYU's existence or something not, to not keep a, the murals. Not a ton of jurisdiction. I will note, though, that uh, no. members of this rally included active members of the church, post members, uh, the Brigham Young University LGBTQIA organization, and polygamists coming together. And I, I think uh, Minerva Tiger is great in many ways, but um, one thing I'm really appreciating her is her ability to bring together a diverse spectrum of people who want to celebrate what it is for them to be Mormon. And all those people, I'm sure, celebrate being Mormon or affiliate differently with the church. But I do like that they are um, they had a reason to come together and it's difficult because people both want to preserve the oddities of our culture, but then also want to move away from other aspects of it. Um, yeah. but Minerva Tyker is definitely a cultural, um, icon that I can get behind. I'm cool with the two. I'm glad we can agree upon this, this tough issue. Uh, I'm going to jump to another one here. So, uh, you know, we love covering our temple news. Maybe we can do a couple temple stories right now. But, um, you know, they announced a temple in Russia like three years ago. Right. right. Uh, and that was cool when they said there's going to be a temple in Russia at an undecided location. <laughs> and of course, and Very since big then, on the details. And since then, many of us who follow these things have wondered where could it be? Would it be in Moscow for political and symbolic reasons? You know, it's Moscow. Or would it be somewhere where there's actually stronger church presence like Samara or Sarato or something like that? We don't know. 
What we do know is last week, the church actually sort of gave this temple a name. Kind of. It's not exactly... It's not exactly in the same vein as uh, if you remember the Washington County, Utah temple was renamed the Red Cliffs, Utah temple. And then the Tuella Valley temple, of course, we've talked about a lot was they moved the site and renamed it the, um, the Deseret Peak, Utah temple. So we're not quite in that same area. They've renamed the Russian temple according to the church's official listing page that the church maintains a list of all the temples. Uh, it's now called Russia Administration Building. <laughs> Sounds very Soviet. <laughs> really does. I hope it's just in this, this, th- just this Khrushchev looking brutalist the apartment block. style. Yeah, um, this could mean a lot of things. And this, they, to be clear, they have not announced the actual location of it. Um, why it's being called Russian Administration Building is anyone's guess. I have to wonder if, given Russia's uh, sort of uh, caustic laws involving proselytizing and religion over the past handful of years, if that's not playing a role. I mean, we don't call our missionaries missionaries. They're volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, you know, we've seen Jehovah's Witnesses suffer serious crackdowns. It's the churches, we're, we're not quite incognito there, but we're not operating in the same way we used to. I mean, there are plenty of stories of missionaries not wearing tags at all, sometimes not even wearing uh, traditional missionary attire to serve. You know, they're not allowed to proselytize in the streets. Any, but we have wards, we have people, we have stakes and things like that. So I don't know if this is uh, for that. I don't know if it's my other guess might be the Europe East Area Presidency is headquartered in Moscow, mm. which, by the way, it actually shocks me. I've have, I'm very surprised they're not headquartered in Ukraine. Honestly, and that's not just because I'm a Ukrainophile. Like because Ukraine had the first stake in the former Soviet sphere. Uh, the church is good there. There and there's a temple in Ukraine. I think a lot of it actually surprises me. And Ukraine is. Perfect, to be perfectly frank, an easier country to do business in as far as the church goes. But anyway, they could do it in Moscow where they could make an administration building like for the Europe East presidency, those general authorities and maybe some mission offices and the usual stuff. And maybe just a couple of levels will happen to be a temple that'll open with no fanfare whatsoever. And there'll be no <laughs> sign to indicate that. Like maybe that's really what's going to happen. I really wonder if they're just going to build a nice building in Russia and not say much more about it. And maybe it'll only be open to Russian saints, similar to the alleged temple that's going to go up in Shanghai at some point. Right. Uh, we don't exactly know. And I was going to say, Jeff, like, in, in for a lot of those logistical reasons, uh, it does make sense for it to be in Ukraine, as you suggested, or maybe some other countries. But part of me wonders, like, there is a certain pride that church members have when temples are built in difficult to reach countries. Like yeah. there is just something that makes people feel proud um, and feel like, Oh, the work, the work of the gospel is progressing. So I wonder if it being difficult was almost uh, the, the appeal rather than the reason <laughs> not to do it. And now, and now they're just going to be like, all right, well now everyone's all hyped up. We're just going to build it in a random Moscow place and who cares the funny thing is I love there's this old symbol on the actual church website that used to show the location of temples at whatever they are announced under construction dedicated and the Russian one had it way over on um, over on what Sakhalin Island which is that island north of north of uh, Hokkaido in Japan okay (laughs) there's like there's the there's the Yuzhno Sakhalinsk branch 
And for some reason, they messed up the uh, GPS on that one when they did it. I would love it if that's where they put the temple, this whole Russian temple. And it's just like randomly out by Kamchatka, just hanging out there. Which I mainly know because of risk where Kamchatka is. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I feel very culturally applicable right now. There you go. There you go. Um, Otherwise, we'll see. We'll see if what happens. I don't know. It's a weird saga. We'll see what happens. Uh, more temple news, and there's uh, an article on this in This Week in Mormons uh, from April 13th. If you're interested in getting more details, but um, the Tallahassee, Florida temple was announced, um, and uh, or the sorry, the groundbreaking was announced that it will happen sometime in June 2021. So COVID has made a lot of things difficult and planning in advance yeah. is one of those. Uh, but but they will have the groundbreaking. And Jeff, that got me on a little bit of a quest to figure out the different, how many temples are announced and dedicated and under construction. And I found that, so there are 168 dedicated temples, um, 35 under construction and 48 announced and not under construction, which I thought was interesting. So how many, how many temples were just announced in, a, in April? Uh, 20 in the, in this past conference. So, uh, 28 of those were announced previously, but have, are not yet under construction or have plans. And, uh, it just made me think, why are we continuing to it or what's happening? Are those, you know, are those sites in, under this kind of endless cycle or what's happening with those that have been announced but are not under construction well i mean they get there eventually like i I agree we have this crazy backlog that's only gotten bigger since (laughs) since so right now we only have three scheduled for groundbreaking of the announced temples the deseret peak temple the one in, in tuella the tallahassee temple and the syracuse utah temple so we know when those it's supposed to be let's see may for deseret peak and then june for the other two other than that, we have like we have like a rendering and the sites announced for a handful of other temples, but it's still we're just waiting. And my information may be old on this, but I'm seeing like the Nairobi Kenya temple that, that was announced one, in 2017. Nairobi's kind of an we don't know a lot about what's going on with that one. Yeah, it's one of those ones they announced a while ago, and it's just sitting there. Um, there's a few temples that have done that. Okay. Where they've been announced and then they've taken forever to get off the ground. Uh, the, the temple in Ukraine was actually one of those. It was announced in okay. the late nineties and they didn't dedicate it till 2010. Wow. Okay. Um, sometimes this, sometimes this happens. I don't know what's going on with Nairobi. For example, they mm-hmm. might just be struggling with through planning and approval phases or any number of things, but I don't know. Or like the, uh, the temple in Nicaragua, that's been, right. that's already a three-year-old announcement at this point. Mm-hmm. Also in Cagayan de Oro, the Russian administration building, which right. thankfully Church of Jesus Christ temples has also updated to not call a temple. Best website. I love them so much. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, th- there's planning and approval. And I think a lot of it depends on municipalities and all sorts of things. Obviously, like everyone that they announce in Utah tends to face little resistance to get off the ground. I mean, they... They announced the Syracuse, Utah Temple, for example, back in April of 2020. They announced it a year okay. ago, and it already has its groundbreaking scheduled for next month. Gotcha. So, but that's Utah, right? So, right. there's more. There's red tape and blah blah blah. But I'm with you. It's a weird thing. We're getting quite a backlog, and now with 20 more, uh, I'm curious to see how this is going to be and how it's going to play out. For my dear Your Belinda Temple that they announced, which is my, that's my my homeland, Patricia, gotcha. by the way. Very exciting. 
uh, we're curious because there's this lot of there's a plot of land the church has owned for a very long time. We know it was considered for a temple before Newport Beach wound up getting the temple in Orange County. The church still owns the land. And apparently they've already been, nothing official has come out, but there's a group and a lot of people that weekend were driving up to that side of land and taking pictures in front of it. And everyone's okay. already like, guys, don't do this because it's going to like tick off the neighbors that all of a sudden there's right. a deluge of Mormons just taking pictures in front of a bunch of dirt for some reason. And that's the last thing we need, right? So I don't know. Who knows what will happen? Crazy things can go down. Speaking of Ukraine briefly, my my dear friends... There's a Latter-day Saint who's on Voice of Ukraine, which is like the voice, but in Ukraine, it's officially called the voice of Ukraine, the way it translates. But uh, a Latter-day Saint is, as the time of this article on Deseret News was in the top eight, I believe she's cleared it. Now she's in the top four. So we don't see this a lot of the time where, uh, I mean, you see your David Archuleta's people stateside, but I don't, I imagine she has to be the most prominent Latter-day Saint Ukrainian at this point, Yulia Timochko. Right from the city of Rivna, good old Rivna out there in western Ukraine. Hopefully, she's a hardcore Ukrainian nationalist. You know all about the Ukrainian culture and uh, not big on that whole Russian aggression thing. So, so there's, just, there's a nice profile of her uh, over at the Deseret News. She served a mission when she was 36, for example. Oh wow! Yeah, did some cool stuff. So she's got a whole whole history behind her and now she's a very prominent person uh, in ukraine yeah she served she's returned home from the ukraine Dnipro mission uh in september of 2019 so wow. she's just she's just singing her dreams and we'll hope for good things for her very excited yulia it's good to have another famous yulia if you know ukrainian politics yulia timoshenko is one of the most famous ukrainian of as course a politician, as everyone knows oh, as, as um, everyone knows there's a great photograph of her from when i was there where it looks like something out of the eighties. It's like this foggy soundstage with like a car and she's like holding a sword and just looking hard. I should find it for you, Patricia. You'd well, hopefully uh, Yulia can come and make a guest appearance on the, uh, the tabernacle choir at temple square when uh, those performances finally get up and running. And just sing in like with a heavy Ukrainian accent. Yeah. When I, when we were there, we actually, Al, we were, <laughs> We went to this church and saw these performers sing a bunch of old standards. And so it just sticks in my head. It's like this very, it's what you would expect if you're like in the former Soviet Union. So this guy's singing like Sinatra classics. And he's just like, I did it my way. Oh, I'd, I'd be into that. It was, maybe, it was great. Maybe we could get her for the Christmas concert. That would really, you know, really, really spice things up, I think. I'm into this. So anyways, I'm excited for it. I love when we see prominent members of the church. I mean. Yeah. Next up, Eurovision. Yeah. Song of Ice it. and Fire, Dance and Fire. What was that Wolf? Did you see the Wolf Ferrell Eurovision movie? Um, I I did. Uh, to be honest, I like weird stuff, but it was a little bit hard for me to get through. I feel like it wasn't weird enough. Like I really wanted a full blown farce, like Blades of Glory. And maybe it tried maybe to... that's what it was. Just yeah. wasn't weird enough. It was too much of a love letter to Eurovision while trying to lampoon it. That's that's how I wanted it to be. Just like you know, dodgeball or ink. I want it to be some ridiculous film. It had too much sincerity. <laughs> hey, Walter Mondale died. That just broke. Oh. Remember Walter Mondale? No. <laughs> <laughs> he was the ex-vice president of the United States. He was Jimmy Carter's vice president. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. 
Now I know exactly who you're talking His about. His date with Reagan in 84 was famous. Anyway, uh, okay. oh, well, all right. Well, he died. So there you go. Um, so uh, there, kind of a quirky story, Jeff. Um, I don't know how, how much of a mention this was worth, except for a personal story I had. And Moab, the, the Moab City Police Department, um, arrested somebody or or stopped him because he set up a tent on top of a church building um, and slept there overnight. And you were kind of joking about this before, you know, before the recording session, but it actually jogged. A, it's a on top of the building. It's I on mean, top it's... of the building. It's very strange. And it jogged a memory that I have that I did not think was weird until this very day. And now I think it is very weird. But um, I went with a group of friends up to Punxsutawney for Groundhog's Day. So Punxsutawney of um, uh, Pennsylvania. And I didn't question this, but we showed up at the stake center and everyone was like sleeping at the stake center, like lots of people. And we got there in the middle of the night. So we just found a random room and fell asleep in the corner. And I really, I never thought about how weird it was that A, I knew that the steak center was going to be open or B, that somehow we were allowed to squat there overnight. Um, but as now, I was how, reading this story, I was thinking, man, that that was kind of a weird thing. How many is a lot? Like how many people were in this this church building? I mean, it was all the lights were off. It was dark. I mean, but we opened up a random classroom and there were people already in there sleeping and we just found a corner. Now you mentioned though, how did you know to go to the stake center and look for accommodations? Because you said you s- that's the strangest thing. I don't know. And like as I'm talking about it, if I didn't know it happened, it might be one of those weird like dream stories that you're telling and no one actually like likes to listen to it because it's just so weird. But I swear this happened. And I'm gonna. I mean, I I, I have believe you. List. I I, I have on my list to call call the people that I went with to verify that this happened and be like, how did what what was the deal here? I never questioned it then, but I need some details now, you know, 10 years later. Well, here here's the other funny thing though. I'm doing a quick Google map search. I mean, we don't have a meeting house in Punxsutawney proper. The nearest church buildings are probably 10 to 15 miles away in either Brookville or outside of Sandy or I'm going to have to get you some more details. I'm so fascinated by it. I remember it being in prime in a prime location and I remember thinking leave it to the church to find the best location in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. I this whole th- I mean I'll follow up. It, no, it, well it's just even, it's even more fascinating to me if there is no church building in Punxsutawney and you were out farther away from it and that it was even open. Like it's one thing if it was in town and the church has said, "Oh, we'll open it up and let the people in so they can sleep." You know, it's it's February, right? They can't have you outside. I'll I'll send a text and see if I get a response uh, before do. we before we finish um, okay. this recording. <laughs> that sounds really good. <laughs> well, a couple of other interesting mentions here. I'm not keeping good timestamps today. There's a new film about mission stories entitled Mission Stories. They figured they'd take the old SEO ploy right there and really just make just maximize it. So uh, it's a series of mission stories based on true accounts. It came out of the director's own struggle with alcoholism where he wanted and his experiences uh, with missionaries. So they're telling a compelling story. They're hoping it will become a full 
media franchise. The first movie features a trio of inspiring true accounts of missionary work in modern times. So that alone is essentially a mini anthology. They just want to make it even more of an anthology. My bigger question is why make this a, like, why not try to pitch this to a streaming service where you can watch each little mini episode? I mean, if it's running the length of a feature length film, then that means all, if it's like a 90 minute movie, that means each story is like 30 minutes long. Why not yeah. just make a, an episode of, yeah, series of, something? of 30 minute videos? Yeah. I mean, either way, it's fine. It's great. It, there's personal stories. They show a missionary. There's a picture down here. One of the missionaries has a bit, a bit more fro than I think might be allowed, but I'm not sure. I mean, we've all seen God's army when anything went back then, including calling missionaries with terminal brain cancer who were 40 years old to serve missions. So. Anything can happen. If you scroll down, Patricia, you'll see Elder Smith down there. I don't. I don't know if you could pull that one off. Your mission president might say that's a little, a little wild. But then again, the sister missionary up top is just wearing a hat. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've never, I've never seen a sister missionary looking so fashionable. You know, the sister missionaries. I live right by Temple Square, and the sister missionaries are very fashionable. Like sometimes I want to stop them and ask them where they got their clothing. They've gotten um, better. But I can't. I can't remember if I've seen a hat. I did see a headscarf the other day. <laughs> oh my! On an unrelated note, there's this. There's an article here at Deseret News. The mo- on most read. Why is Southern Utah like Disneyland? <laughs> Despite long lines, high prices, people flock there. Is that why it's like Disneyland? Because of people and and prices. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. I'm just fascinated by that headline. I think we're reaching we're reaching a little bit there, Deseret News editors. So go see Mission Stories when Mission Stories drops at a a uh, what's his name? Larry What's His Face Cinema near you. What was it? Miller. Name? Thank you. Larry Miller. And go to Ken Garf beforehand and buy a vehicle. Larry H. Miller and Gail is actually in my ward. So yeah. I'll I'll pass along the feedback. Please do, and please give her my condolences for his husband's passing like five and, years ago. Uh, Jeff, this is breaking news. I just checked in with my friend who I went with, and she said yes. he did. It was so weird. The funny thing is I was telling someone about this the other day and trying to remember how we ended up at the church building. Uh, just just thinking about that now makes me feel tired. So another person who does not know how we ended up at this church building but that confirms that it did actually happen. Are you sure it was one of our church buildings and it was not? Oh, I'm church. positive. Okay. I'm positive. I've been to Punxsutawney. I mean, it's a beautiful little town. What people don't realize is the movie Groundhog Day was not filmed there. No. Punxsutawney is kind of like a whatever little town and Gobbler's Knob is actually outside of, you have to basically, you have to drive there. I don't know how you'd get there otherwise. It's kind right. of on the outskirts of town. Right. Yeah. I've seen, I've not done the festivities though. So congratulations. Well, you know, it was very cold. It was very cold. I remember not being able to feel my feet. Of course, being being from Arizona, I didn't really know how to prepare a dress for cold weather. So I'm pretty sure my, my feet, my footwear choice was not appropriate. So if you, any Westerners, Southwesterners going out to Punxsutawney, look for the church building. You can squat in it overnight and just grab some warm footwear and you're good to go. Well, well done. Very good. Very good. All right. What else we got, Patricia? So uh, one thing I I thought was amusing and I could also relate to um, on the other side of this story is a Um, Slate.com 
question and answer section. And the, the title of it is called My Seven-Year-Old's my seven-year-old's best friend won't stop pro- proselytizing. Can I tell oh, him to stop? Oh, good. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think you know what's happening, but um, the the woman writing in is to Karen Feeding, the recurring um, uh, question and answer series. Uh, she says, my husband and I are both non-religious, but we were raised in Christian households. We've chosen to raise our children without religion. My seven-year-old's best friend's parents don't feel the same, however. They are Mormon and fairly devout. And my problem with with it is the kid is really pushy with his religion. Um, And, you know, I can commiserate. I was probably this kid. We're we're taught so much. You know, I felt guilty growing up if I didn't leave a conversation with a stranger with a Book of Mormon in their hands. Like, this was ingrained in me. You always bring up the church and how great it is. Um, and th- the advice from the person is like, absolutely set, set your boundaries, uh, talk to them, um, and, and discuss with them what is appropriate to talk about in front of your son. Obviously everyone should, should be comfortable being exposed to different beliefs and different ideas just in the world. Um, but I think we need to recognize as members of a proselytizing faith that, we should have authentic relationships first and read the room when people don't want you talking to them or their kids when you're not around about your religion. It's a good idea, you know, and we were even reminded of it by what was it, Elder Gong who told about that terror. It happens in Utah all the time where parents won't let their kids even like play with non-member kids. Like, why do we do this? Just love people first and then, Focus on the rest. All right, folks. So, which BYU campus building are you? That's right. That's the list. That's the quiz you have been dying to take <laughs> I felt as, a, for as long as you remember, and you I, didn't know it. I felt a little offended by this, and hopefully I don't offend other people that are listening, but I got Helaman Halls, and I just... <laughs> I do not feel like I'm a Helaman Hall kind of person. Like, I was not classy enough. Um, I lived in Heritage... Uh, before they were rebuilt. Um, I lived in a very old, uh, very gross apartment and I loved it. And when I got Helaman Halls, I was just like, you know, that's just not me. It's not your jam. I didn't ever do the dorms. So I obviously did not choose any of those. I got the Harold B. Lee Library. Oh. Which is ironic because I spent very little time there. Like most of my work, I spend most of my time in the Swicket or in the JFSB. Um, that was my where my things happened. And uh, I probably went to the Harold Beely Library less than 10 times the whole time I was at BYU. Even though I heard it was the place to hang and see and be seen and find your love. Yeah, I, I mean, the JFSB was uh, built, I was there for uh, one year, or I think half a year when it was built and man, that was a beautiful building. It's a lovely building. Oh, I, I love going back now and sitting in those atriums. Um, the building, the building that that the humanities used to be housed in that's torn down or it's been repurposed into the JKB. It used to be called the JKHB. Um, it was known for having humanities students sleeping in the hallways and so that was one of the reasons why they built a, a ground level with no couches at the JFSB. And then any couches were on upper levels so that they wouldn't have just random students kind of sleeping around uh, 
literally sleeping sleeping uh, around in, yeah. in the in the hallways. Yeah. So I, yeah. I I thought it was a step up. But then the downside is they put most of the classrooms in the basement. It's a huge basement full of classrooms that have no windows and no cell reception. But it's, uh, and the funny thing is they purpose built it for church use. Uh, We had a, you don't notice this when you're walking along the hallways, but there's these kind of like narrow little alleyways that push back deeper and then expand. Mm -hmm. And there are stake clerk's offices throughout. And that's where I had my, we had church in the Wilk and I was a ward clerk. And we had to walk over there and go all the way downstairs to the back. And there was this room in the back for our stake where we do tithing. And there was just this one room that had probably like 11 or 12 computer terminals for all the different wards. And we just sit there and count our money every Sunday. Interesting. You know, it's Tab, funny. They just they hate I, these things. I actually love the idea of better uh, dual purpose using our church buildings. The church owns so much physical uh, building space and except for a couple times it, during the week, like evening for maybe mutual or bishops meetings, it har- it hardly is used. I love the idea of finding different ways, you know, community classes, repurposing um, those so that those buildings are used more. Um, I yeah. never thought about that till now, but I like that. We should do more. I mean, at very least, like we taught English classes in the church when I was a missionary, but that was you're doing it for service, but you're also doing it because you're dropping a net and seeing right. what you get, you know. But um, I'm with you on that one. Our church buildings are, are, have a lot of they're they're deliberately austere. They're deliberately multi-purpose, and right. yet outside of mutual nights and the occasional ward activity, a lot does not go on in our buildings. Of course, right now we don't want much to go on at all because it's right. all about like how long can it lay fallow until the next people show up for the sake of COVID, but. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a good idea. Uh, Jeff, how do you feel about the proliferation of pickleball courts? Um, I don't. I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it. What? <laughs> so, uh, uh, stakes were given guidance that if people requested, they could trans. They could transform the basketball courts into pickleball courts. Uh, pickleball, of course, is a popular net sport that was, I believe. Um, it, I don't know if it was created in Washington State, but it was. Uh, it's been played there for a long time. Just recently, uh, hit Utah yes, with a storm. It was created in 1965 on Bainbridge Island in Washington because all those wealthy people on Bainbridge Island in the middle of Lake Washington didn't know what else to do with their time. Uh, I have to say, uh, pickleball is definitely a sport for the um, for me. As a formerly athletic person who no longer move as quickly as I used to, I can still feel sporty and be relatively good at it. I mean, um, the picture is of old people playing. This looks like it should be on a, here, I'll send it. There's a chat window here if you really want to see it. But that's that's the Wikipedia entry. Uh, Jeff, I can't wait to reunite and, and teach you the ways of pickleball. I, I think you'll be really into it. But yeah, they, they've they've been given direction that if people request it, they can entertain it. That's fabulous. If, folks in North America, if you want to know another trick, um, if you are looking to get a new building in your stake, officially the way it works with the FM group is if every building in your stake has four u- units meeting in it, then they're like, I don't know that it like triggers something mandatory, but basically that is the moment by which they can no longer ignore you and they have to be serious about building you a building. So if you've been like jonesing for a new building in your stake, Look at your ward structure. See if it wouldn't make sense to split one of your wards into two for fun and just pack them in. Pack them in. 
Uh, I might or might not have heard of some stakes trying to do that recently, literally to as leverage to force Salt Lake's hand to get another meeting house that's like more reasonable, more reasonably located uh, yeah. for some of the members, which is kind of hilarious. The lengths we I, go I'm to. I'm excited. That, you know what's cool about um, some of the ward buildings in Salt Lake is they were built before there was a standard. Oh yeah, you know, look and feel. I, uh, the, the ward building that I've been to recently, it's just behind the conference center. It has a really cool, huge mural of, or a stained glass of the, um, of the first vision. That's pretty cool. And the new, we're going to be moving soon. And our new ward building is the garden ward park. Um, and you know, if you, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of a salt Lake staple. It has a cool grounds with, a um, people try to get their wedding, receptions there uh but there's some cool unique buildings in in downtown salt lake although not a ton of them <laughs> it makes me think of uh, you know you mentioned people taking photos at our buildings just to, I, we didn't talk about it here today but on the twim facebook feed this week i saw an ad in my own normal feed and it was about like like embrace your inner viking it was some kind of sport oh. or whatever thing. and this guy was like all these tats and stuff and i realized it's just the san diego temple behind him and i know the the public likes our temples for photo shoots but that one just cracked me up because i was like what is the it's what's the San the Diego. What's what's the relationship there? I have no idea. I don't right. know if this is common in 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 all temples, but I remember the DC temple especially. A lot of quinceanera uh, photo shoots happening yep. at the DC temple. The Oakland temple gets a fair bit of those as well. LA gets a decent bit of them, not quite as many, I think, because it's like out there in the west side, and the grounds are pretty extensive, and it's right. just people don't want to deal with it. I've seen I've been to the Oakland Temple only a few times and seen many a quinceanera photo shoots going on. It's I, I haven't seen I, I, I love don't it. remember seeing them in Arizona, although maybe they were there. But I love it. I I, I would love for the the temples to be um, a place of community gathering instead of you know some of the consternation with the light pollution, etc. So I like it. Well, your beloved Mesa Temple uh, is apparently all but done as far as the renovation work goes. Now they're just kind of fin- finishing it up. So I'm sure that the whole project, because you know they built all kinds of new stuff, maybe it will become a focal point for the community. Maybe. I haven't more. seen it. I should check it out next time I'm home. Yeah, they tore down the whole visitor center and moved it across the street. It's a whole thing. Oh, they moved it across the street? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I obviously know a lot about it. So obviously. I Totes. Fi- figure out what's going on in my hometown. All right, we shouldn't put off some of what, what really is probably the biggest story that's come uh, this week, and it's sort of, we're kind of bookending the episode nicely. We started off laughing about a website devoted to healthy sexuality, and now we're going to what happened this weekend also related to what is, in essence, a fight about healthy sexuality and other things, but that has landed a a prominent uh, Latter-day Saint podcaster and individual in some some hot water with local authorities. Uh, we're speaking, of course, of Natasha Helfer, who is known by many. Uh, she's, a, she's a therapist. She's a sex therapist. There, there aren't that many Latter-day Saints sex therapists, uh, but that is what she does. But some of her work has... For some reason, at this point, at this juncture, I don't think, any, I don't think there's been like a random incident in the past month or something that's really flagged her. But she is facing a, a uh, we used to call them, you know, the councils of love or whatever, but basically she's facing church discipline uh, and potential excommunication over some of her stances and some of the things she has done publicly. And uh, much of the Latter-day Saint social media sphere has been 
up in arms, I'd say in a lot of circles about this. I've seen many people who are who want to support her and not uh, have her be excommunicated in the process. So I'm going to say this up front. There's plenty of this I don't understand. I am not a disciple of Natasha Helfer uh, or nor of like John DeLynn, for example, who was basically a cult leader. Um, I am just a simple guy doing my thing, but we want to try to break this down as best as we can. Patricia, you've read up on this too. So obviously let's make sure we do right by it. Now, my understanding is she is being charged with apostasy uh, primarily because I think it seems like there's a couple of things she said, because as a therapist, any therapist is bound to do what's best as a therapist, regardless of the church's standards on things. And I've even spoken since this broke to some of my friends. I have some friends who are therapists who are active in the church and they're like, from a strictly therapeutic standpoint, they support her in what she's doing. And the namely, she said things that like masturbation is okay and it's not, but she's wrote a post that she said it's not a sin. So you can see some of that. Uh, she's been an advocate for LGBTQ rights, of course, which is another important thing. But she has been at times uh, dismissive of the brethren. Like, I, was, for example, like writing a blog post where you're declaring whether or not masturbation is a sin. I think it's totally fair to discuss whether masturbation is a a healthy practice that can help one overcome certain issues, psychological issues surrounding sexuality. But I don't know that she is the one in a position to declare what or is or is not sin because she's not the the spokesperson for the church, you know, she's not the prophet or anything like that. Um, Patricia, what have you been taking away from this? I could ramble about it for a while, but. So I, I, I think, um, you know, research around masturbation and around pornography use, I think uh, one, one important term that has come up is shame um, and mm-hmm. how shame can be a really emotionally destructive force Um, And so I believe her teachings about masturbation and pornography were more about removing shame um, because, you know, it's uh, other research um, has shown that pornography use is um, has a more detrimental effect in religious communities that teach that it's wrong. And it's because of the, the perception that it's bad and sinful um, that makes people feel really bad and puts an additional strain on marriages. You know, whether or not you personally um, think that uh, pornography is is healthy or, or is a good thing is irrelevant in this case. I'm more focusing on the fact that it can, if you perceive something as being sinful, um, you can attach shame to it and that can impact personal relationships. So I, I agree, you know, she doesn't necessarily have the role in the formal church church infrastructure to say if something's a sin or not. But I think her larger teachings on, hey, you're this doesn't mean you are a bad person. You don't have to f- attach shame to yeah. these practices. I, I think that's where that's where the nuances of therapy are really important. And if you're just kind of looking at it at face value, um, it might feel like, oh, you know, she doesn't have the the ability to call things sin or not. Yeah, and I, I think that's and that's the. I think we would have to divorce ourselves from these two things, though, because I've seen a lot of support for her, and I completely understand it. Like exactly what you're saying, we want to get away from shame. We want to build relationships. We want to have frank discussions about healthier ideas of sexuality and our faith, because I think there is a lot of repression uh, in our faith community when it comes to sexuality. And likewise, how do we? 
help people who uh, she argues of course that pornography is not a uh, a, a medically diagnosable like addiction for example and i've seen read many other therapists would feel the same way the church although i don't think it's like that drifts into like apostasy territory for example but i think the church pushes the idea that like yes you get addicted to porn and you need to get over it uh but I think we need to separate ourselves a little bit from the work she is doing that is valuable as a therapist, which I think is real. And it's still worthwhile to look at if the way she has gone about this is what could ruffle some feathers. And once again, of course, we're not her stake president. We're not anybody else. But I, I can see how this could be the case. So, And it's really important to separate these two notions because I can't, I can't say, I think you're doing valuable work as a therapist, ergo anything you might have done that could constitute apostasy doesn't matter because you're doing good work, right? Um, because it does still matter, right? I mean, I, I could, you could do all the good in the world, but if you go out and just start, like if I, if I were to switch this podcast up and just start railing on Joseph Smith being a false prophet or something like that and spend a bunch of time doing that, even though I'm still doing my ministering and my calling and everything else, sure, that that's going to become an issue, especially because I'm someone with a voice and there are thousands of you that listen to this and you could understand why people, especially church leaders, could be uncomfortable with something like that. Um, and I think that's what kind of comes down to the reasons why she's been facing some uh, some disciplinary action because she's not just, she's tried to say if you know masturbation is or is not sinful. Uh, she has spoken kind of disparagingly about church leadership uh, in the past. I think she even called them patriarchal pricks at one point, if you'll forgive my my language. Um, she said certain things that you can completely understand why this would raise red flags from folks involved. Now, whether they're going about it the right way, whether it's this is something they should be going about in the first place is like a fair discussion, but I don't think anyone should be necessarily surprised that she might find herself in I'd say the crosshairs, but well, well, like I can see exactly how this would come about, even if I don't, even if I'm not on board with it. Well, I think that's that's where that's where prominent um, cultural critics find themselves in danger because yeah. you know I do think that there there is an important place for mental health professionals, and this is just one example. But she became famous because she was discussing topics that are difficult for mainstream traditional Mormons to discuss. And there needs to be a place for that. Another, another thing that they took issue, I, I, I watched her read the letter. And one of the things is that they were saying that she was leading other people away. She claims, um, I, I'm not terribly familiar with her teaching, but she said, look, I don't tell anybody to leave the church. What I do is I listen to where they're at, what they're struggling with, and help them make the decision that that they want to make and, and pro provide them support. Um, I do think that there is um, that there is a place for that. And how do you critique aspects of a culture, um, but just in the right way so people won't mind you critiquing them? No, I mean, I, I think you're you're the phrase that you pulled out, patriarchal pricks. I wouldn't like to be called that, um, but I don't know that I would like any any phrase that was kind of questioning my judgment, um, especially as these people get more and more famous or more and more following followers on social media. Um, it is a difficult question. You know, we're allowed to have questions um, insofar as our questioning ultimately leads us to the same conclusion. Um, but I don't know. It, it's hard to determine when somebody is um, 
an obstacle from the church instead of just a, a, some pushback. Yeah. And so much of that is up to individual circumstance. One funny thing is um, she's being tried, as we say, in her old stake in Kansas, where she no longer lives. And it seems that her stake president there like held on to their, her records and wouldn't transfer them. And so that's where all the action is happening, uh, which is interesting to me. I, I feel like that's... And the, and the Washington Post article about it notes that for one, he works he works for the Koch brothers, which is yay. Oh, and, gosh. And, um, but also, he used to be her soon-to-be ex-husband's boss. Oh, uh, um, I and this I also gets us. I didn't see that. Yeah, this gets us into other weird areas in the church. Whether like should ecclesiastical leaders need to recuse themselves from certain things because of relationships like that? We don't talk much in that way because a, a court in the church is not a court of law. It's not the exact same thing, but it makes one wonder whether you could be in a position to be objective about it. If you've had a very close professional relationship with someone who is now divorcing the object in question and has probably had things to say about that individual. I think that's that's a that's a tough spot to be in, and I don't I, I can't speak for anyone, but I think it definitely it makes me ask some questions about whether we should have standards like that within our church. But then, what do you do? It's not like it's not like like again like a like court proceedings where you go or you can have an impartial jury, right? Like you're stuck with wherever your records are. You don't move around to try to find a, a fair trial somewhere else. And what's what's notable about um, about this instance is she. Uh, she is using it as a awareness campaign and asking people to write in, not necessarily on her behalf, but just speaking to the importance of raising, you know, mental health challenges or difficulty in dealing with um, with with these issues. And I do believe her um, ex husband is is going to speak on her behalf um, okay. at her council. Well, that's good. And allegedly the council was supposed to happen uh, just yesterday on, on Sunday, but apparently from what I've read, and this is much of it filtered through the lens of, of angry, this angry part of Mormon social media, um, that they asked her to surrender her phone before the proceeding because you know what, there's a fear uh, that someone's going to record the audio, it. right? Sure. Um, she had said, like, I'm not going to record the audio. I have no intention of doing that. Like, have faith in me. But she had her notes and the things she wanted to discuss on her phone, as many of us do, right? Like, that's pretty much, that's very normal nowadays. So because of this, apparently they, like, postponed or canceled the proceedings outright um, and wouldn't hear any of her witnesses because she would not surrender hmm. her phone. I might be getting a couple details there wrong, but uh, Jeff, that's... Do you know what they, I can't remember what they call these councils now. And it's Councils. not excommunication. What are what's the official term? Love council. That that's literally what it's called. No, that's not the official term. Oh, I was. Oh gosh. Um, because you know they've tried to rebrand these and not. Um, and I know that you know when um when other people I know have been called in for different areas, like I get that they the 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 party line that they say is like, Oh, you know, this is, this is for your benefit. So you don't, yes. you know, break your covenants and that you aren't held accountable before God. Um, and you can rebrand it all you want, but I think part of, part of her point is, is there's not one way to be a Mormon. Um, and there, there needs to be space 
in both the the church and in our culture for people with different viewpoints. Um, and, you know, whether or not the particular, I don't know all the particulars of her case. I, I don't know about her personal life or have read her blog, but it, it does make me um, sad to lose an important voice in the culture if she is cut off um, officially, um, because that's, you know, even, that's, that can be very difficult. Even if you aren't, don't have a strong affiliation with the church, being told you don't belong anymore can, can be harmful, especially when you've grown up and that's, that's your identity. That's, that's your people, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's hard. And I, and this is not me like leaning on the side of the local leaders or anything like that, but you're also in a formal discipline. It's usually just called a disciplinary council or whatever you, but church discipline, you know, takes time. There's different, uh, and of course that's different purposes, right? You can, like it says here on the church website, to save the soul of transgressors, to protect the innocent, to save, or to safeguard the purity, integrity, and good name of the church. I mean, I think this is a situation where however you feel about it, I imagine the people involved feel that she's become too prominent a figure and she's saying things that they are concerned will lead others astray and that she has the influence to do it. And so that's something you have to address. Whether they go about that entire process in a healthy way, obviously, will be picked apart by many people for some time, uh, and, or whether this should be an issue in the first place. Because I'm with you. We should have diversity. We should have better structure to protect the uh, the downtrodden and those who are less fortunate and those who are underserved within our own communities. And we should listen to people who can help us get there, absolutely. It's just so hard when you find where that like weird line is. Yeah, where, like, where what you're doing becomes an issue because now you're threatening the stability of the church or you're leading people astray. Yeah, and that's that's such a little line right there. Like it's it's right, and it's so subjective. And it on the one hand, I don't want it to be dogmatic because when you make these rules, then there are no exceptions when there really should be, you know. But if it is so subjective, like you were talking about, it becomes even if somebody's trying to make a good decision, they're influenced by their experience and their relationship. And if they were personally offended by something that someone says, so it's really hard to be objective in these cases. I guess I, I would just, I, I feel for people who have gone through these experiences, it can be painful. And I would just hope yeah. that people, people watching this story unfold aren't, re-traumatized for their own experiences. And I, I really do hope that we find a meaningful way for different expressions of, of what it means to be Mormon. And I use that in a specific term. Um, and you use the word Mormon too in this. It's more about the, the general, the, the broader cultural movement, the incorporation of different faith traditions that span, that include the formal Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but then also a lot of different people who culturally identify with with this group. And I, I, I would love for that group to be as big as possible uh, because we need all sorts of different people. Yeah, and we can benefit from that. I, I, I don't want to back up too much because I think we've covered it really well, but this really this makes me think about the time when I was Elder Scorn president in one of our wards. Um I remember one of the first things a member of the stake presidency or whatever was training me on, we'd have our little meet, you know, our PPIs and stuff. And they stressed a lot that one of my responsibilities on top of all the things you would assume an elders quorum president does was to ensure correct doctrine was taught. Mm. 
And they didn't tell me this because there was, they heard there were problems in our ward or anything like that. I was, I, this very much seemed like the normal thing they told every single Elders Quorum president in the stake. But I felt a, re- a weird weight about that because I was like, well, for one, this is awkward. I'm like, I'm not the kind of guy, like I, I want to hear the viewpoints. And if people are going off the rails, I don't want to be the one who stands up and says, stop it, heathen. How dare you speak? I speak with authority. Um, it's a weird place to be when someone tells you you are responsible to ensure that like the church is protected more or less. Um, and thankfully, nothing crazy ever went down. But like, I deliberately had a guy, for example, that I had called to teach elders quorum who was on the bubble with activity and I think with some of his uh, interpretations of of just things. And uh, but I liked his lessons because he brought us to a different place. And thankfully, our quorum was savvy enough that if the lesson was veering in a different direction, we had a lot of comments that would kind of steer it in a positive way. But um, that was my my minor small experience for a number of years there, just all, but I, they reminded me about this all the time. Like you have to make sure that no one is up there teaching incorrect doctrine or teaching something that could lead the brethren astray. And I felt that weight, you know, like it's, it's awkward. And again, I, everyone's going to think I'm like a stake presidency apologist based on this discussion, <laughs> but that's not what I'm going for here. But, um, I don't know. I just think it's good to see to see every side from it and recognize. I don't think I don't think this stake presidency is relishing the process or the exposure from it by any means, or having had his own home address leaked. Uh, right. I'm sure they don't love any of that. But I also hope that we can be in a place where we are, like you said, just let's give a little more bandwidth to all these different groups and teach yourself well, teach your kids well. And we're all going to be okay. Like yeah. it's going to be fine. And, and it goes back to that discussion I was thinking about earlier um, related to Al Calloway's comment. Like what is the relationship between culture and doctrine? And um, sometimes I wish we would focus less on the minutia of what is or isn't doctrine and just yeah. really focus on teaching people to love one another um, and focusing on the Jesus stuff, um, which I, I think we could do a little bit more. Amen, sister. Very well said. Well, my dear friends, it's about time for us to say goodbye. It's been a pleasure to be with you this week. We hope you've all enjoyed the robust discussion on a number of interesting topics and ideas. I believe the Twim Sisters should be here next week unless they blow it off, but I don't think they really like that. So keep an eye out for them uh, and they'll have the news and I will be sitting pretty because it'll I don't know. It's my dad's birthday next week. That's why I don't know. I don't have a real good reason, but it is my dad's birthday. So wish him well, everybody. So thanks for taking the time to tune in, folks. We appreciate uh, you being a part of the Twin family. If you want to support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash This Week in Mormons, you can support us by paying $1 or $2 a month, and that would be gravy. Patricia, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Wonderful to have Patricia Doxy. Her erudition knows no bounds, and we are all better people for having her here accordingly. So until then, everybody, we hope you'll have a great week. Be well, be holy, and be happy.